Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business, or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Linney. Guys, welcome back to Construct Your Life. Hope everybody's having a good day today. I have the pleasure of speaking to Mr. Chris Grinzik. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, brother. Staying busy. How are you doing? That's right. That's right. That's right. So last time we spoke on the podcast, you were working for a big company up in New York. You were doing Mm -hmm. acquisitions for them. And you said, man, I hate money. I hate what I'm doing. My partners suck. No, I'm just kidding. He loves his partners. They're good, good. They're good dudes. But you decided to blaze your own trail. Yeah. And now you live in Florida. I do. Almost uh actually, what's today's date? Not quite a year yet. A few more days, okay. another week. Okay. So walk us through that decision. You know, y'all had purchased north of four hundred million dollars worth of real estate. You, you, you know, you got your start with them. Mm-hmm. You know, what was the I think there's a lot of people that would be comfortable Mm -hmm. and they would continue to do that. What was the driving force behind you going out on your own? Yeah. I mean, I was comfortable. I was there for four and a half years. Um, You know, there was parts of me that thought about leaving at different times Um, just because, you know, part of me wanted, I, I was living in Brooklyn and working on Long Island. So it was like a 45 hour commute minimum, if not an hour and a half, some days one way, not even round trip. Um, and a part of me wanted to be like fully in the city and kind of like get rid of my car and live that lifestyle. But, um, I mean, they were great to work for and with, so, you know, I stuck around for longer than I probably envisioned at first, um, which I think speaks a lot to, you know, them just as people. Um, but it also speaks to, you know, what happens when, you know, you kind of build a culture, you know, you do well by people. Um, you treat them right. And, you know, you also pay people well, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. So that's one of the reasons that I even wanted to go off on my own was to kind of provide that for other people. Cause I know how tough it is. You know, I had tons of friends and family that hated their job, even if they were getting paid well, or were not getting paid well and still hated it. Um, and I just kind of would sit there and be like, why, you know, what, what's leaving really going to do for me? You know, um, you know, I would sit there and see like friends in the city and they'd be going to like happy hour after work. And I'd be like, Oh, I wish I could do that. Or I wish I would have like work friends. Right. Cause it was just John, Don, myself and Lauren, who was the admin. And she was there most days, but not all the time. And, but when I sat there, I was like, is that really the most important thing? Like, is that really something I want more than, you know, what I'm getting, which is great job with great people that pays really well that I really have no issues with, if any, Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just ultimately never decided to leave until, you know, going off on my own, which was for vastly different reasons than, you know, the, the type of work life balance that I had or what was going on. And, and what were some of those reasons? I mean, I think you and I share a similar thing. Like people think I want to get into business cause I want like all this money and, and like, I'm not upset about any of that stuff, but mainly, mainly I just want to provide jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons. One, I think, you know, the challenge, you know, it's interesting. You know, I do think 
part of it was I did get very comfortable where, you know, part of it was also like looking around and being like, okay, like we've been doing this for a little while, you know, what, you know, kind of just felt like routine and not as much of a challenge. Um, so it's kind of like, okay, what, what else can we do more? And, you know, we talked about different things within work and my job and then COVID kind of put everything on pause, um, and kind of reinforce some of the, the stagnation, I guess is the right word. Um, so it was kind of like looking around, kind of looking for something new, uh, two, I kind of always wanted to do my own thing. It was just kind of always something I've felt I wanted and being there was probably longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, three, I think I'll, I just think I can do it a lot better than a lot of people and also provide a great experience for other people. So eventually, you know, my 10 year plan is to scale to 500 million under management in excess of 5 million in revenue and employ anywhere from 60 to 90 people. That's a lot of people, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's a significant impact. So if I can get to that stage, you know, that would be really, really nice. Um, but ultimately it was at, you know, I was buying this 16 unit deal for myself down in Jacksonville. I was just buying it on the side. I, you know, didn't want to have investors or not have control because ultimately I was an employee for Toro. I didn't have, you know, the bottom line say, and I just had a lot of money tied up in there and in the stock market. And I was like, I want a little bit more control over what's going on. And just so many people asked me while I was buying that, if I was leaving and I kind of sat there and thought about, it. I was like, I don't know, maybe I should. And then the ultimate question I kept asking myself was, if I don't do this, am I going to be 80 and look back and regret not doing it? And I felt like that answer was yes. So I said, then we've got to do it because I don't want to look back and regret not doing it. Mm -hmm. And then on the back of that, I mean, obviously you made the decision to go off on your own on the back of that, then you decided to take an even harder route and Mm -hmm. you wanted to property manage it yourself as well too. Yeah. You know, I had been saying, you know, if people want to spend the time and energy to find podcasts of me over the past two years, you know, I've been saying that now longer, now three years, um, you know, I've been saying that the operational side and the construction side was a gap in my knowledge. And I felt the only way to do that was to go work in a job that provides that knowledge or, you know, actually take on property management or day-to-day stuff. And I was like, screw it, let's go do it again. Didn't want to look back and be like, you know, shy away from it. Like scary. Didn't know what I was really doing. I mean, I knew high level what stuff should cost and how stuff works. And I had contacts already. So, you know, it wasn't starting from a black, uh, a blank canvas, but you know, it was still kind of scary and no idea what I was doing. And, you know, haven't really said this, but I kind of delayed making the first steps for like two months on like the construction side. Cause I didn't want to mess up until finally my dad was like, what the hell are you waiting for? And I didn't really have a good answer. And I was like, uh, okay. So, I mean, like, you know, it wasn't like easy and I just jumped right in, but, uh, yeah, again, it was just like, why not type of thing. Um, so yeah. And what part of what part of the property management stuff was easier and what part was harder than you thought? Um, harder was def, you know, definitely managing the construction renovation side. Um, I don't know how some of these property management companies in the past that we've used 
did in-house like renovations more than just like a basic turn, right? Paint, clean, whatever. Um, Cause I mean, it's hard enough just staying on top of contractors and subcontractors. Um, so that's definitely been harder. Like that's a position I would like to actually insource and have like a project manager that basically just oversees everything now, which is earlier than I ever thought. Um, easier. Hmm. Surprisingly kind of like the, not when there's big issues, but like, you know, your day-to-day interactions with tenants and like collecting money, like, you know, it's just, it is what it is type of thing. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think, you know, I think that, I mean, I don't think I know that most people play the what if game, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, well, you know, what if this happens? And, you know, I've seen your stories, like you were out of town and the water leaked, mm-hmm. you know, like it, like, I think, you know, meaning like after we talked yesterday, I did a podcast with Anthony and we were talking about like the fact that you think problems aren't going to happen is your problem. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you'll kill yourself with what ifs because you've no idea. I mean, like you said, I was away for a wedding and we had two units flood with a couple inches of water, Mm -hmm. which, you know, unfortunately we had a tenant that reacted very, in my opinion, reacted more than I thought the situation warranted, but every person's different. You know, it was sink water. It was an inch or two. In my opinion, if that happened to me, yeah, it sucks. And you got to leave and clean stuff up. Nobody wants that. Um, but it's not a huge deal. You know, I sit there and I'm like, thank God it wasn't sewage. Right. Because then that would have been a real mess. Um, but yeah, I was away for five days. And while I was away, we had two units flood. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I was in, I was in the the party for the wedding and I'm sitting there in t- basically the entire rehearsal dinner on the phone trying to get this solved. So it's like, yeah, I, you know, don't want that. That sucked. Um, I was away for another wedding. We had a tenant basically go crazy, um, you know, and just causing problems with other tenants. And we just made them an offer to, to get out and they took it. So, um, you know, and then little other things, just, you know, minor things that come up and you got to deal with, but what if game is crazy and, you know, half the time you won't even think of things that are going to happen. So it's like, no, dude, I I was talking to a coaching client the other day and, I've only told this story like twice before, but long story short, uh, we'll save this story for another time. Uh, a baby pissed on one of the beds and didn't tell us and the cleaner didn't know. And then the lady that came into the next mm. uh, thing said in it in a, in a brand new suit and oh. proceeded to uh, text me 30 times in the middle of the night and then decided to rip my head off of my body the next morning through phone. And I had to go spend, you know, like 3000 bucks. Like, I, I, you know, I told him straight to his face. I was like, where's that in your performa? Yeah. <laughs> like, but I handled it and yeah. I still got a five-star review. Oh, that's so, nice. You know? So, I mean, like at the end of the day, like those, those, and now that I'm saying it out loud, like those situations have taught me emotional stability in the moment when something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, just in life, whether you run a business or not, I mean, stuff's always going to come up. You don't expect like you literally, there's a million things you can't plan for, which is why, you know, whether it's emotional or financial, you should have contingencies and just kind of, you know, you got to roll with the punches, right? A family member gets sick. Like nobody's expecting to get cancer, but that happens or some sort of disease. And like, what are you going to do? 
mm-hmm. you just figure it out and, you know, mm-hmm. go with the flow and do the best you can. And, you know, it's the same thing. And I think, you know, most people know that stuff comes up and most people like the same thing in their situation. They know you didn't purposefully do it. Obviously they're pissed in the moment. <laughs> she, she didn't at first. Right. <laughs> oh, of course. Right. You know, yeah. so you, if, if I was standing in your Airbnb and I sat and pissed, I'd be pissed too. Even though I know you, I'd be like, yo, what the fuck? But, um, but you know, stuff happens and people get pissed in the moment, but I think people also understand that like, you don't have control over that. And as long as you make the efforts and really like care and try and do what you do, like, you know, you, you know what, it. you know what I actually found and, and I actually, thank you. Cause I remember I have to record this video for somebody uh, is they don't actually want you to fix the situation that moment. They want you to acknowledge that you're aware of the situation. Mm-hmm. Like that's all they want. Like, okay, I'm going to source somebody to fix this. Like, okay, great. Thank you. Now I can go on with my day. It's the fact that if they think that you don't care, that's when it starts escalating into something that it needs, that it doesn't need to be. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. And, and so one of the things that I really appreciate about you as a person is that you are, you know, massively what I would deem level-headed, like, you know, uh, unemotional about just decisions in business. Like where did you cultivate that? Or is that a personality trait that you have? I mean, I actually think I am relatively emotional, but I'm just very mellow. Like, I don't know, just a lot of things don't, I just try to stay very like even keel, not get too excited about any one thing or too upset about another thing. Um, you know, I think just, I don't know, just always been fairly, I guess, level-headed and not overly exuberant or under exuberant about anything, which sometimes I don't like about myself. I wish I was more of a animated personality and, you know, the type of person that walks into a room or a crowd and becomes best friends with everybody, but just mm-hmm. not who I am. So, you know, I, um, I accept that and I'm okay with it. And I think in certain situations it is a benefit. So, you know, whether it's analyzing a deal, dealing with tenants or employees or partners or whatever, you know, I do think I don't get too caught up uh, in what's going on. For example, you know, this 20 unit deal we just put under contract, you know, they, buddy called me and said, Hey, our equity fell out. And, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, I'll, you know, basically we talked about stepping into the contract and taking over. And basically the, somebody he knows has under contract. And personally, I don't feel like he deserves anything, honestly. Like he put a deal under contract. He wasn't able to execute and raise the money. Um, and he you know, still wants something. Yeah. Crazy. And, you know, but for me, what am I going to do? Say no, and then don't get a deal. So sometimes you look at it and you say, okay, maybe emotionally, I don't feel like that's something that's warranted or deserved. But what am I going to do about it? Am I not? I mean, you know, am I going to let my emotional feeling over what somebody deserves or doesn't deserve get in the way of me getting a deal that makes sense? No. So he's going to get paid, and I'm not overly happy about it. Oh, and, but and the and deal still makes not- a ton of sense. It doesn't hurt me. You know, the second deal. You know, my second deal too was it was a double wholesale. It was a $1.9 million deal. The one guy walked away with 250 grand in wholesale fee. 
I don't really love paying somebody 250 grand who didn't really do a whole lot. But again, it's like, for me, I look at it and say, okay, the deal works at 1.9. Does it really matter who's getting the money? Yeah. Do I think the seller deserves it? Of course, right? They're the one that has owned the deal for 30, 40 years, but you know, they're the ones that are allowing this to happen. You know, they didn't have to, you know, allow these assignments. So, you know, I've got to be more unemotional about it. You know, I'm not sitting here bragging. I don't love the fact that I paid somebody 250 grand for a deal, but that deal is going to make me way more than that over its lifetime. So I'm okay with it. You know, so I think that's kind of where it comes in, where I know a lot of people would probably be like, fuck that. This guy doesn't deserve 250 grand. He's done fucking nothing. I'm not paying that shit. And guess what? I would have the deal and they wouldn't. And that deal is going to make me way more than that over the lifespan. And yes, there's a there's a um, a line where eventually it doesn't make sense anymore. But for me, it's you know those scenarios. It's okay. What's the price I'm willing to pay? And then I don't necessarily care how the money gets divvied up under it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's people are like, oh, if I bring you a deal, will you partner? Will you pay me fee? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, if you bring me a marketed deal or a fully, you know, market value deal, and then you want to tack on 3% to it. No, that's never going to work because it's already at market value. I can't afford to pay an extra 3% on it. So it's like, it's one of those things. Yeah. You bring me something that's 10% below its value and you want a 5% fee. Sure. I don't care. I'm getting some 5% below value. I never count other people's money. I think it, it's pretty, pretty, you know, I heard that a couple of years ago and it kind of stuck with me because, you know, um, I think you can get highly emotional when it comes to, you know, but at the end of the day, like the only thing that matters is, do you have, do you have the deal or not? Yeah. Like, I mean, no. dude, I've, I've heard of, you know, $400,000 wholesales before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it was tough, you know, like that second deal, the 250, I knew he was making decent money. I did not think it was going to be that much. I thought it was going to be like a hundred grand. And then I told him, I was like, look, and I really meant it. I said, look, I, I don't care. And the way we had to do it, I had to like, cause it was technically a double wholesale. So I had to step into his position. Basically. I was like, look, I don't care. I'm in just, you have to let me know. And he like, didn't want to tell me. So I was like, fuck, this is definitely going to be more. And when he told me, I was like, fuck, like that's a lot. But I, I said, but again, I just had to go back. And like the part of me, the emotional part was like, fuck, I don't want to pay this guy this much. I don't think he deserves it. But then I sat there and I'm like, look, I I mean, it's more than what the seller thought it was worth, but how can I fault the guy? Like he got in a position, found a buyer. I think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. And honestly, now I, you know, I would pay more for today. So it's like, you know, I can't be that upset about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the tenants are in better hands with you having ownership of the property and, and so on and so on. But uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump into deep waters here sure. uh, with you because I never actually heard you talk about your personal life. Okay. Uh, ever. Um, but it seems like you're really happy these days. Yeah. Things are going it seems good. Like, it seems like life is good. And I'm just curious what, role that's played just in general in business and just overall? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I definitely stay away from talking too much about the personal side of things. Um, but, you know, the move to Florida has been, you know, pretty great. I mean, it sucks that I left some family up there, especially uh, my dad and my Oma. She's from Germany, so we call her Oma, um, who I used to see, you know, once a week or at least every couple of weeks because my job was not far away from them. Um, but my mom and my sister are in Florida, one's in Daytona, one's in Orlando. So I see them more. So it's a little bit of a trade-off. So besides, and a lot of my friends, you know, some of my very good friends from college are still in New York, which is tough as well. Um, but, you know, moved to Florida, uh, job's been really great. I've been fortunate to bring on, uh, two people who are excellent people to work with. I'm so happy, uh, that I have them. Um, I've been dating this woman now for six, seven months, seven months. Um, and that's been going great. We actually moved in together about a month what? ago. Yeah. Where did this happen? You didn't tell me. Yeah, a month ago. Um, that's amazing, dude. You know what's yeah. interesting? And and I'll let you continue on that. But when I see pictures of people together, I'm like, okay, yeah, got it. Like, I feel that way when I see y'all together. Yeah. I mean, she's just been really great. And, you know, I, I just, I don't want to go too much into it. But, of course, you know, of course. Just, you know, it's just been really great, um, you know, and just very happy and that plays into it. But, you know, it's it's been because of that, I've put a greater attention on really separating out work and life, which I had did not do at all uh, up in New York and really didn't do before we started dating. Um, and it's been pretty surprising putting some of those more boundaries on how little it's changed, what I'm actually to do, you know, able to do and get done. Um, you know, there's still like podcasts and webinars that I miss out and I choose not to do because they work full-time jobs and I'm not looking to do them on nights and weekends. Um, dude, dude, we could spend the rest of the podcast talking about this. Like I won't do podcasts or meetings on Friday and I sure as fuck won't do them on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. And if I miss out, I miss out. Yeah. I mean, there's some, you know, once in a while I'll do phone calls at night or whatever, and she's super understanding about it, which is really helpful. Um, but I really try not to, cause it's not now that I, I spend less time and part of it was in New York. I would purposely stay late because rush hour sucked. I mean, like I said, hour and a half versus 45 minutes. I was like, I'll stay an hour later or I'll go get dinner with my dad or Oma and just spend time and get home later. I don't have that problem in Jacksonville. My commute's 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So, um, you know, there's very little rush hour, if any. So for me, it's like, you know, kind of setting those boundaries has been pretty nice. So yeah, luckily it hasn't been, I've passed on something that's huge. Like you hear stories of like, Oh, I passed on this speaking gig that would have paid me a few hundred grand because of my mm -hmm. kids football game. There's one, I just saw that somebody did that. Um, so like, it's not like I'm passing on things that are going to pay me huge sums of money. It's, mm -hmm podcasts, calls, whatever. Um, and most of them are pretty flexible so that I'm able to reschedule, but you do once in a while run into the problem where, Hey, this person works nine to five and they do it nights and weekends and, or mornings. And I don't get up early cause I'm not good at that. And, you know, I'm not working nights and weekends really, unless I have to. Um, so, you know, that's been pretty nice. Well, I think, I think at the end of the day, I think you, you've made a decision what works for you and you're totally comfortable with it. Like I, like, so like a couple, like two weeks ago, like I, not that I, like I'm doing everything I need to do. Like I'm not feeling like nothing's wrong, but I'm just like, I feel like I'm doing 
like just doing everything and not getting that like vision time, that like creative learning time. Mm-hmm. And so I made a conscious decision that I was going to move all my meetings to Monday to Wednesday. And Thursday was going to be my learning, hang out, go to nature, read something day. And mm-hmm. it just feels so much more freeing to know that I have that time put aside for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really excited about what that Thursday is going to yield for me when it comes to vision and stuff, which is super important for my role in my companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been struggling with that a little bit. Um, I was talking with Will Coleman and what he does is he like blocks, I think like 7.30 to 11 every day and like puts his phone down. So I'll do that a few days where I'm like, um, you know, like just focus on whatever it is, like big picture stuff that I need to do, whether it's, you know, sometimes it's, you know, calls and meetings. Cause it's like, Hey, it's, you know, I've, been, I've read, uh, essentialism, the one thing and one other book. And it's basically like, you know, you've got big things that, you know, may not have an ROI on paper, but you need to do whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, vision or planning or organizing, whatever. Um, so I try to set aside like nine to 12, if I can, to really do those things. I mean, we're recording at 11, so mm-hmm. it is what it is, but I'm trying to do more of that of like really set aside the mornings to like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not taking phone calls. I'm not answering emails. It's like, what is you know, the one thing today that if you did would really, you know, really move you forward and try to focus on those things. So like the past week in the mornings has been about getting this new deal done. So whether it's, you know, opening entities, getting due diligence done, getting the investor deck together, um, you know, those are really the things that, you know, I've been focusing on in the mornings and then in the afternoons going more through emails, phone calls, stuff like that. So um, I haven't really figured out how to do the, the learning reading side yet um, and really prioritize that. I don't know if that's a home thing, you know, spend 30 minutes in the morning or after work and kind of, you know, set that aside or if it's at a work thing. So I don't know. That's something I'm still figuring out. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that I think you're really good at is I, I you know, I saw your kind of stories, like you spent a lot of time mapping out your, you know, your five, your 10 year vision. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't even do that because they don't want to be beholden to what they put down on paper. Like yeah. I, don't put me in a box. Like what's your, like, what's your thoughts on that? Like, I think it's a North star. I don't think it's a straight jacket. Yeah. I mean, so like I said, 10 years, I want to have 500 million. I just worked backwards and that was apparently it's a really good book that people read. I just kind of heard it from other, some other people. And I just know intuitively if it's like, if you want to get somewhere, you've got to figure out. I, I honestly don't know. Somebody mentioned it once, but it's like sure. working. It's something called like working backwards or something. I don't know. Um, but I just heard somebody mention it once. Like you need to read it. And I was like, fuck, I already did this. Don't need to buy that one. So that's pretty good. Um, you know, save myself 10 bucks. Um, but you know, sat there and said, okay, what do I think is realistic or, you know, realistic stretch? said 500 million work backwards. And then when I kind of looked at the numbers, I was like, okay, I think this is fairly doable and a good position to be in with a stretch, but not too crazy. Um, Sometimes I sit there and I'm like, okay, maybe I really should be aiming a little bit higher, but be it as it may, I'll, you know, I'll adjust in the future. But yeah, I said, if I want to hit 500 million under management in 10 years, um, you know, I know within 10 years, I'm going to sell deals. So I said, add some cushion. So I think 10 years is like 540. And then I really acquire like 600 million over 10 years. 
And then I just kind of worked backwards and what it led to, I forget some of the middle years, but I know it's like the first year is 5 million, which I now being a year in, I'm slightly under, but when this deal closes, I will hit that and be more. So like if you aggregate the total acquired over like 15 months, I hit it, but be that as it may, because I do so few transactions, there has to be some wiggle room on timing. And honestly, I'm okay with it. And that's all that fucking matters. So mm-hmm. if people want to say you didn't hit it in 12 months, they can go suck it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like 5 million the first year, 8 million the next year, 12 million the next year acquired. Basically like anywhere from a 50% year over year increase down to like a 35, 40% year over year increase. Um, and it leads with in year 10 acquiring 200 million worth of assets. And basically I've roughly what those deals PLs will be every single year, roughly what my management asset management fees will be every year, what my acquisition fees will be every year. Um, because my plan is to buy deals, add a ton of value, refi after two years, hold for another three to seven years, um, roughly how much I'd be getting back in refinance proceeds. Um, once that deal eventually sells, uh, how much I'll roughly be getting in uh, waterfall and promote. Um, how much money I'll have to then reinvest into GP equity, you know, because like, I've also got to look at, you know, investors want to see you co-invest in deals. So I've got to look at, okay, you know, if I want to raise 30 million bucks and I want to be 10% of that, I've got to, you know, the GP has to have 3 million bucks. So can I get there? Am I going to need partners? How can I do that? So, you know, that was a, a lot of that played into it, but also looking at, okay, how much loosely, you know, revenue can I expect coming in? How much staff can it loosely support? Is it enough? Um, you know, I did like a ton of research and understanding coming down, you know, making sure that this is actually viable. Like I pulled a list for the two counties here, Duval and Clay for all the multifamily, 10 plus units and two to nine units. That's how they break it down. And I was like, is there even enough deals that, you know, can support this? And yeah, broke it down and felt like there was enough. So Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just kind of really mapped it out and made sure like, Hey, is this something that's, you know, really doable and, you know, achievable and makes sense. And even financially, like, is this even worth it? Like, is this going to make enough money for me that I'm like, you know, all this energy and effort is worth it. And yeah, kind of spent a lot of time doing that the first, I don't know, four or five months. Mm-hmm. No, I love that so much detail. And, you know, guys, I want to give you a window into my viewpoint on what Chris just kind of laid out there and kind of tell you, you know, when I first met Chris, you know, I told myself like, that's, that's a guy right there that I want to be in business with somehow, some way, you know, my specialty by any stretch is not the hunting down of multifamilies nor running them. I I don't give a shit, nor do I care. I've got people to impact coaching. That's more my speed, more connecting people. And so, you know, my philosophy for my long-term wealth and, and impact is to do a fund of a fund guys. And what that is, is, you know, I know all the best operators in the country, people like Chris, Anthony, uh, Luke and Daisy and, and other guys is I'm going to go raise the money for Chris and instead of him having to raise money from 15 people, he's just going to be able to take 3 million from me. And so he only has to answer to one person and, and I'll give Chris that 3 million without even looking at the deal. Me personally, because I don't give a fuck because I know that if Chris is in a deal, you know, that's the type of person that he is as a person that he would never want to lose people's money. That's just who he is. Right. And so what he's done is it created a reputation on based on values and who he is as a person. And that's, 
how you create value in the system uh, with wealth creation in, in real estate. And it's, it's super important. And people are so worried about the profit and loss statement. And they're so worried about what they're buying. And the question that you have to ask yourself is, are you somebody that people would invest in? That's what you need to ask yourself. And yeah. if you're not, if you're not driving towards that, I don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. I was just having, um, you know, for this deal, we're going to be closing in January. I was having a conversation with a guy who's looking at investing and he's also a broker in the Jacksonville area. So, you know, uh, he actually owns another deal like right up the road. So he came and checked out this one. We went and looked at his bouncing ideas back and forth and talking, sent him the model. Um, you know, and he was asking some questions. He's like, he's like, I don't know, like, you know, the, the expenses seem a little light. He's like, you know, for this capper. And I was, I was like, look, I was like, honestly, I was like, I don't, I said, you get past one year. I was like, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't know where cap rates are going to be. I don't know what my expenses are going to be. In my first deal, my uh, part of my insurance, you have your, your property level, your general liability, and then your umbrella. You know, our property level just went up 30%. So, you know, our insurance total didn't go up 30%. I think it went up like 15. Um, but like, I can't do it. You know, like what, what am I supposed to do model in that? My, you know, insurance went up 15%, you know, like, you know, the, the town turns around to, tomorrow and decides to change the millage rate. You know, Florida's nice. You can only increase your assessed value 10% every year when you own it, but that doesn't account for your millage rate. You know, you take your millage rate from a 1.8 to a 2.2, you know, your insurance is going to, uh, your taxes are going to go up 20%. I can't control that in, in the, a deal Toro bought, which is around the corner from my first two deals, but in a slightly different area. So it, it didn't really come into effect. Uh, a year before we bought that deal in 2020, they changed the millage rate. So everybody's taxes went up, you know, that's stuff that happens and you can't control. I mean, we used to, re- I think we were saying, you know, we used to renovate units for 3,500 bucks. And now it's like, I can't imagine spending less than six, seven grand. It's like, mm-hmm. you, can't, you know, you can't get paint, you know, maybe you paint a unit for a grand. It's like, you know, you turn a unit. So it's like, you know, your costs are just naturally going to go up now all these things I'm talking about are negative. We've also seen crazy rent growth. So I underwrote our first two deals for like a thousand twenty-five and eleven hundred, and we're getting anywhere from twelve hundred to thirteen hundred. So it's like, you know, I look at that stuff, and it's like, you know, you want to talk about refinancing in two years, what the hell it's going to sell for in five, seven years down the line? It's like, shit, I have no idea. But when I look at a deal, you know, like the reason I'm even buying this deal doesn't have the widest margins in the world. It's not the highest returning deal on paper, but it's a fucking great location. The buyer replaced all the major CapEx stuff anywhere from the year 2000 to 2020. So roofs, plumbing, electrical, ACs, water heaters, foundational work. I mean, guys spent a ton of money uh, and did a lot of great stuff, like Mm -hmm. replaced, Mm -hmm. not just fixed, Mm -hmm. like all new plumbing, all new electrical, Mm -hmm. all new ACs, all new water heaters. It's concrete brick construction. Um, literally across the road, they're building 19 brand new homes. You're just like, it's like, how do you look at that location and be like, this doesn't work over seven years. And on paper, it's a good returning deal with not crazy assumptions by any means. Definitely. Look, I'm not going to sit here and say it's my most conservative underwriting in the world. That would be a lie. I'm very comfortable with it. I think it's more than doable. And I think there's a, a high chance we outperform it as well. But like, those are the things I look at because I can't tell you what rent is going to be and expenses are going to be and cap rates are going to be. And, you know, like nobody knows. So it's like, 
like you said, you've got to underwrite the person and then you've got to look at what you can control on the deal in the next year or two. And then, you know, just do you believe in the area and do you believe in real estate in general? And then, you know, it's kind of a toss up of what it's going to be in three, five, seven, 10 years. Yeah. Intentionality is everything. Laws change, rules change, everything. And if the intentionality is I want to see my investors succeed and here's how I'm going to do it. Okay, great. Then I can, I can work off of that. So if people want to find out about your journey, they want to see what you got going on, how would they do that? Yeah. Um, you know, social media is a great place. Uh, basically anywhere, but the two main ones are Instagram and LinkedIn at Chris.Grenzig or whatever LinkedIn's, I think it's like Chris-Grenzig or whatever. Just search it. You'll find it. Um, if you want to get in direct touch with me, you can either DM me there or shoot me an email. It's Chris at jag-communities.com, J-A-G hyphen communities.com. Uh, that's also our website, jag-communities.com. Um, we will also have another website coming out for like the investor side. Um, so if you don't see anything, if you're like interested in investing, you want to fill out the form, um, you can either email me or just go to that website and there'll be something. Um, it should be out in a few weeks from now. So if it still looks like shit when you hear this and you look it up, give it another week or two, and then it'll look better. If it looks good, uh, you know how long ago this recording was. So just give me a little bit of time. We're still getting stuff up and running. Uh, you'll be fine. It'll be yeah. perfect timing. Guys, share this with somebody that'll get some value from this and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Construct Your Life with Austin Lenny. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to start constructing your life by taking immediate action on what you learned. For show notes, resources, and more information on one-on-one coaching with Austin, visit constructyourlifepodcast.com.